welcome to the Seeking Pearls podcast. My name is Rebecca Meitinger. It is wonderful to be here with you today. Today we are in the seventh episode of our series on the Apostle Paul. Paul, his journeys, his letters, his Jesus. As we begin today, we are looking at primarily Paul's second missionary journey. Last episode, we wrapped up his first missionary journey, which ended in about 48 AD. That missionary journey probably took about a year and a half, and it was between 47 and 48 AD. And then the journey that is his next journey, recorded in Acts chapter 16, begins probably about AD 49. In between these two journeys, we do have the Jerusalem Council, which we are not going to cover in the podcast. It's in Acts chapter 15, so easy to go and read. I will give you a synopsis of it. The Jerusalem Council was a council in which many of the apostles came together in Jerusalem in AD 49 to really discuss what to do with the Gentiles and whether or not they need to be circumcised. That was the primary point of the Jerusalem Council. As as the apostles were convinced by the Holy Spirit that the gospel was indeed for the Gentiles as well as the Jews, they were convinced of that, that had been made very clear to them by the Holy Spirit himself. And then they had to figure out, well, what do we do with the Old Testament law? Because we know that Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to abolish the law. The law is still precious and dear to the Jews. And so what do we do with the Gentiles and the law specifically about circumcision? So they got together at the Jerusalem Council. And at the council, it was determined. I love the way the letter they write says it, it, which is in Acts chapter 15. It seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. (laughs) That's how they word it. That circumcision was not required for the Gentiles who were coming to faith in Christ. Circumcision was not required and they asked them a few other things like abstain from food that still has the blood in it that was been sacrificed to idols and abstain from uh, sexual immorality and other than that they welcomed them into the church into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That all was the decision made at the Jerusalem Council, and that's in Acts chapter 15. That occurred in between Paul's first and second missionary journeys. After the Jerusalem Council, Paul and Barnabas went back to Antioch, to their home church in Syria, and we are going to pick up the story there. So we are in Acts chapter 15, actually, starting at verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take with John, also called Mark. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Okay, so we need to pause here because this is incredibly significant what happens here. Paul decides, hey, let's go back and visit all the churches we just planted on the last journey, which would be throughout present-day Turkey, so Antioch, 
of Pisidia, Lystra, Iconium, Derby. Those are the main cities that they had visited on the first journey. He wants to go back and visit all of them. Barnabas is agreeing that it's a great idea, but he wants to take John Mark with. If you remember from our last episode and the episode before that, we did two episodes on the first journey. John Mark left. They had taken him with initially, and he left when they got to Persia or Perga in uh, southern present-day Turkey. He left them, and we don't know why he left, but it could have been Paul may have been really sick at the time. They were going to traverse some difficult elevation in the mountains as they went north. They may have had lots of suffering that they were had already endured possibly and were going to endure more. We're not sure what made John Mark leave, but he left. And clearly when he left, it left some wounds because now Paul does not want to take him with again. And the word deserted is used here in the text that John Mark had deserted them. And so Paul didn't want to take him with again. So there was some significant wounds that had not been healed yet. We do know that those wounds are going to get healed, though, later on. Paul writes encouragingly about John Mark to some, in some of his letters later on. So we know that eventually those wounds do heal, but currently they are not healed. And the disagreement is so strong between Paul and Barnabas that they split ways. This is so significant because remember back to past episodes, several episodes now, we've talked about Barnabas. And in fact, one of the episodes in this series focused almost exclusively on Barnabas and the role he played in the Apostle Paul's life when nobody else believed the Apostle Paul shortly after his conversion, when he came to Jerusalem, after he spent three years in Arabia, he came to Jerusalem and the other apostles were still scared of him. Barnabas took the time to get to know him, to hear his story, to hear about his conversion and to to realize that he had truly been transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ, had been made into a new man and Barnabas brought him to the apostles and encouraged them to hear him out and to listen to him and to believe what he said. And then Barnabas went and looked for him a decade later when Barnabas was pastoring in Antioch and he saw that Antioch was reaching out to the Gentiles in a way that no other church had done yet. And he knew that Paul's specific call from God was to be an instrument to the Gentiles Barnabas remembered that and he went to Tarsus to look for him and bring him back to Antioch because he knew that this is your mission, Paul. This is your mission. You are needed here. And so Barnabas had been incredibly significant in Paul's life. And they part ways because their disagreement is so extreme. I was thinking about this and thinking about a couple of other places in Paul's letters later on, later in his ministry, when he writes about disagreement to the churches, when he's writing letters to churches and he talks to them about disagreement and he is adamant, adamant in his letters that disagreements get healed quickly. When he's writing to the Philippians, which actually today in our text, we're going to see when he plants the church in Philippi. Later on, in about 62 AD, so 
about 13 years later after he plants the church, he's writing a letter to the church in Philippi. And there is a division going on in the church between two women who he holds very dearly, two women who have worked hard for the gospel in Philippi, Euodia and Synthike. They are in a disagreement. And in his letter, he writes in, in Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, he writes to Euodia and Synthony, and he says, Be of the same mind in the Lord. You both work so hard for the Lord. Agree in the Lord and move on. It says he pleads with them. He says, I plead with you. Agree in the Lord. Be of one mind in the Lord. And then also when he's writing his letter, which we know as the second letter to the Corinthians, but we know there was there were more letters to the Corinthians that we don't have. But in our Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 Verses 10 and 11, he's writing to the church in Corinth about a massive division that's going on with one individual in that church. And he's telling them, you need to forgive him. You need to forgive him. And whoever you forgive, I will also forgive. And then he says specifically, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. So what he's saying there is that the division within the church is a scheme of Satan and we cannot let Satan outwit us. We are aware of his schemes. We know that he causes division. Let's not let him get the best of us. Let's let Satan know that we are aware of his schemes and he cannot beat us. So Paul writes very strongly later on about division and the division in the church, and he has no place for it. Division has no place in the church. And I have to wonder how much this situation with Barnabas played into that because he was hurt by this situation. Barnabas was definitely hurt by this situation. John Mark would have been hurt by this situation. Like this caused pain all around. And although we have reason to believe that it was healed later on, Paul never forgot this. He never forgot this lesson that division in the church is painful and needs to be healed as quickly as possible and move on in the Lord because division within the church only comes from Satan. That's where it comes from. Let us not let Satan outwit us with his schemes. Let us be aware of his schemes. So Paul never forgot about this and it's so important for us to just keep this in mind as we think about the churches that we love dearly and when there is division in a church let us be part of the healing process quickly the forgiveness process quickly let us bring reconciliation quickly let us be agents of reconciliation quickly and not let satan cause any more harm than has already been done in any situation so Barnabas and Mark went to Cyprus, which was the first stop where Paul and Barnabas had gone on that first missionary journey. They went that direction. Paul chose Silas, who we actually meet in chapter 15. What's interesting, though, is Silas, he's a prophet, and he came up to Antioch after, after the Jerusalem Council to help deliver the message, like the decisions from the, from the Jerusalem Council. He came to Antioch, and then he had gone back to Jerusalem. So when Paul chooses Silas here, it's interesting, he probably sent a letter to Jerusalem to Silas to say, meet me, perhaps in Derby. It looks like they meet up in Der Derby. Meet me there, and let's go on mission work together. 
but Paul takes off alone, which is why in verse 41 here, it says that he, Paul, went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches, and then he's going to meet up with Silas. Silas is a prophet, which is going to be significant in a moment, a little later on, and he also is a Roman citizen we learn which also becomes significant in our story remember paul is a roman citizen as well barnabas was not a roman citizen it will be significant as we go through the story that silas is as well so we are going to pick up now in chapter 16 starting at verse 1. paul came to derby okay so that would be in present-day turkey we we were in Derby with Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. So Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. Okay, so we talked a little bit about Timothy in our last episode as well, because a lot of scholars think that Paul probably met Timothy and his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois on his first missionary journey. There is a word when Paul later on, much later, like probably like 64, 65 AD, when Paul is writing letters to Timothy. He writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11, he says to him, You know what kinds of things happened to me in Iconium, in Lystra, in Antioch, the persecutions that I endured. It doesn't necessarily say that Timothy saw those persecutions or that he witnessed that during the first missionary journey, but it's possible that Timothy did see all that during that first missionary journey and that they met during that first journey. We don't hear anything about Timothy, though, until this journey. So a lot of people think that Timothy, his grandma, and his mom came to faith in Jesus while Paul was preaching in Iconium, during that first journey and then that they brought him to Lystra and took care of him after he was beaten in Lystra or after he was stoned to death in Lystra that perhaps they took care of him and then sent him on to Derby after that so it's possible that they met him at that first journey but here Paul goes to see them specifically there is a disciple in Lystra named Timothy along with his mother and grandmother and it says in verse 2, the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of Timothy. Timothy at this point would be in his late teens or possibly like 20 or 21, so very young. And in verse 3, it says Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of all the Jews that lived in the area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Okay, this can get a little confusing because they had just decided in the Jerusalem council they had just decided that circumcision was not necessary for salvation. They had realized that that was true. They had decided as a group that the Gentiles could not be held to circumcision. And so they had released that and made that known. Now, Paul is getting Timothy and Timothy is not yet circumcised. And Paul chooses to circumcise him. Why would he do that? Isn't that contradictory? The answer is no, actually. The reason is because Timothy is Jewish. Timothy is Jewish. His mother and his grandmother are Jewish. His father was a Greek, and clearly because of his father's influence, 
his father chose that Timothy should not be circumcised, and so he never was. Probably by this point, his father has passed away, and Paul becomes a father figure in Timothy's life. The reason that Paul chooses to circumcise him is because they always go to the Jews first and preach. And since Timothy is Jewish... Paul knew that if he was an uncircumcised Jewish man, the Jews would not listen to him. So when the Jerusalem Council decided that Gentiles didn't need to be circumcised for faith in Christ because faith in Christ was sufficient, that is, that is only for the Gentiles. And, and the, the Jewish believers like Paul and Barnabas and all the apostles, they knew that circumcision was not going to save them. As Jewish men, they knew that circumcision does not save them. But it's still part of the Old Testament law. Way back in the days of Abraham, God made a promise with Abraham and the sign of the covenant was circumcision. And they still hold that dear, not because they think it saved them, but because it was the sign of the covenant. And so it was still very dear and precious to the Jews, even to the Jewish Christians. And so Paul knew that if Jews are going to listen to Timothy, if we have any, if we get any foot in the door, if they're going to listen to us at all, Timothy has to be circumcised because he is in fact Jewish. Not because circumcision brings salvation, but because it's the sign of the covenant and the Jews won't listen to a Jew who's not circumcised. So I hope that makes sense. So anyway, they had him circumcised. Verse 4, as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So those were the decisions about how Gentiles don't need to be circumcised. Verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they grew daily in numbers. Okay, so by this time we have Paul traveling, Timothy is with him, Silas would have joined them by now, and they are traveling to the churches that were in that first missionary journey to strengthen them, to encourage them, to deliver the news of, of the Jerusalem Council. They're traveling through that same region. Now, if you're looking at a map, I would encourage you to Google just put in the in your Google search bar a map of Paul's second missionary journey and you will get a map of his journey which is begins by going north from Antioch in Syria and then west through what is currently present-day Turkey now the next part of this is really interesting because Paul pretty much has to go in a straight line he tries to go south into the province of Asia. Now that's really confusing because to us, Asia is an entire continent. But 2,000 years ago, before all the continents were named, interestingly, Asia was a province in the Roman Empire. It took up the western portion of what is now present-day Turkey, was the province of Asia. And Paul wants to go south like southwest into Asia probably his goal was to get to Ephesus was which was the capital at the time of the province he he gets there later like actually even later on this journey but then he spends substantial time there on his third journey he does get to Ephesus and it, it seems like he's trying to get there right now but the, God is not going to allow him to go there yet God has a plan for him first so he ends up traveling straight west through modern-day Turkey. Uh, and so we're going to read about 
why he ended up going straight west as we get into verses 6 and on. So chapter 16, starting at verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Okay, so that's where he wanted to travel like southwest and go into a lot. There's a lot of cities there. Actually, interestingly, if you're familiar with the letters to the churches from the book of Revelation, those cities are all in the region that Paul wanted to go here, the, the province of Asia that Paul's trying to go here, and the Holy Spirit would not let him go there. So they just continued straight west instead of going southwest. And then they tried to go north. So in verse 7 of Acts chapter 16, it says, When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. So they tried to go north into Bithynia. But the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas, which is a city on the Aegean Sea. So now they have come to, on our map, what is the very western border of modern-day Turkey. And they're like, now where? Because they tried to go southwest into the province of Asia. Then they tried to go north into the province of Bithynia. And both of those times, the spirit of Jesus would not let them go there. Now, this is why I said earlier, I said it's significant that Silas is a prophet. That had actually not occurred to me, but one of the commentators I was reading, one of the scholars, said that since Silas was a, a prophet, we can assume that the Holy Spirit communicated with Silas uh, to speak to him about how, no, you can't go there, and no, you can't go there, just keep going forward, just keep going straight. <laughs> so they just went straight west, they traveled on the road straight west to the port city of Troas, wondering the whole time, okay, where are we supposed to preach the gospel? And you can imagine, we don't get any sense of frustration from anyone. I mean, the way that Luke writes it is just like, he just writes it like, nope, don't go there. Nope, go don't there. Don't go there. And we don't get any sense of if Paul and Silas are frustrated at this point. I have to assume they were. I mean, Paul was so excited to go on this journey, and he wanted to go down to these major cities like the capital of the province of Asia, which would be Ephesus. He wanted to go down there, and there's many, many cities, high population down there, and he was kept from going there. So then he was like, okay, let's go the opposite direction. Let's go north. Nope, <laughs> you can't go north. And he just, I don't know. I We don't know if Paul got frustrated, but it seems to me like he would have been frustrated. I think I would have been frustrated. And you think about your own life, about times when God just seems to be shutting doors. Like you're trying to do one thing and the Lord is like, nope. And you try to do another thing and you're like, well, maybe I'm supposed to do this instead. And the Lord is like, nope. And you just... All you can do is just keep putting one foot in front of the other, thinking, well, the Lord will show me when he's ready about what it is, that, what door he's going to open. And that is true. That is exactly what he did for Paul and Silas here. He just kept them on the straight line. And they kept obeying him. And they must have just trusted that when God is going to open a door, he will make it very clear that he's going to open a door for us. And that is what happens. So in verse 8, they went to Troas. In verse 9, during the night, 
Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia, standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So they're in Troas. We don't know how long they're in Troas. Presumably they were preaching the gospel while they were there. Maybe they were there for like a day and then they got the call to go over to Macedonia. Or maybe they were there for a week or a month. I mean, we just don't know how long they waited for the Lord to show them what is next. But they waited for the Lord. The Lord gave Paul a vision, a very clear vision. See, that is so sweet of God. No matter how long they waited, no matter how long they had been, they had been journeying for so long through what is present day Turkey, so many miles and mountains waiting on the Lord to to give them permission to go north, south, east, west. Just tell us where to go, God. And here God is so clear. So I think one of the things we can take from this is when when we wait on the Lord, the waiting can be like a time of very murky, unknowing. But when God is ready to show us what's next, he is not going to let it be something we can overlook. (laughs) He's not going to let it be something that will confuse us. He will make it clear. So it can be confusing in the murkiness, the not knowing, that's confusing. But when God is ready to say, okay, here you go, he is not going to make that part murky. He's going to make that clear for us. We can trust God on that. He made this so clear for them. And they they got up at once to leave from Macedonia. They were like, okay, we're ready. They had waited on the Lord for who knows how long. It could have been weeks or months or days. But when the Lord said, this is where you're supposed to go, they're like, okay, we are ready to go. We are not going to drag our feet. We are ready to go and follow God. Now, another interesting thing about Troas here is this must be where Luke was. Luke is the author of the book of Acts. He's a physician. And they clearly meet Luke in Troas because the, the them turns to us in verse 10. So verse 10 of Acts chapter 16 is the first time we get we. So Luke starts to write in the plural first person. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel. So Luke is now on the mission. So Luke may have came to Christ in Troas, or he may have been a believer before. We're not sure. But one thing that's really interesting is that Luke is a physician, and by this time, Paul has undergone quite a few sufferings for the gospel, and it's possible that Luke begins traveling with Paul as his personal physician. We are going to pick up in verse 11. So they are going to sail across the Aegean Sea from Troas to present-day Greece. So Macedonia is present-day Greece, and everything that happens through the rest of chapter 16 happens in present-day Greece, and chapter 17, actually, and most of 18. (laughs) Uh, We won't get that far today. Today, we're just going to go through chapter 16. All right, so chapter 16, verse 11. 
From Troas, we put out to sea, and we sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day, we went on to Neapolis. Okay, so the wind was behind them, because on the return trip, this is going to take five days. But right now, it only takes two days for them to sail across the Aegean Sea here. The wind is behind them. They have very quick sailing. Verse 12 says, From there we traveled to Philippi, which is about 15 more miles down the road, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there for several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. Okay, here's the deal. Philippi is a Roman colony, and any time a city did not have 10 Jewish men, there would not have been a synagogue. To have a synagogue, a city needed 10 Jewish men at least. So we already found on our, on our first journey, we saw that they stopped in Lystra, and there didn't seem to be a synagogue there. So we talked about how there weren't enough Jews. Now we are in Philippi, and again, there's no synagogue. So what would have been common is for those people who who worshipped God, who knew the one true God, they would meet outside the city by a river. And so that that was just kind of culturally what was true because they wouldn't be going if they if they worship the one true god people wouldn't be going to all the temples to the greek and roman gods that were built throughout all the cities of the regions throughout the roman empire so the the worshipers of the one true god would gather at a river for a time of prayer and worship on the sabbath day so paul and silas went down to the river on the sabbath we went down to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer we sat down and we began to speak to the women who had gathered there one of them listening was a woman from the city of thyatira named lydia a dealer in purple cloth she was a worshiper of god the lord opened her heart to respond to paul's message when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So what's interesting here is Lydia is from Thyatira in the province of Asia where God would not let Paul go. But instead, God brings Paul over to Macedonia and there he meets Lydia, who is from the very place that Paul had wanted to go but could not go. He meets Lydia. She is a wealthy woman, a dealer of purple cloth. The royals and the very, the very elite in the Roman Empire are the ones who wore purple cloth. And so she would have been a very wealthy woman who had come over um, from, from Asia into what is now Greece, but into Macedonia to sell purple cloth. And, uh, and she had heard about the God of the Hebrews. She had heard about the God of the, of what we would call the God of the Old Testament. She had heard about the God of the Jews and she worshiped him. She had come to trust in the God of the Jews, the one true God. And so then Paul began to preach to her about Jesus and the gospel message and the Lord opened her heart so much so that she had in her entire household her slaves her household if she was a widower she would have had her children they all were baptized and she invited the missionary team to come to her house and to stay at her house during the time there at philippi which he said was several days 
They stayed at her house the whole time, and her house becomes the first church in the city of Philippi, which we will see when we get to the end of chapter 16. Verse 16. Once when we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned, and he said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Okay, I just want to talk a little bit about this. This is really significant because what it teaches us, what the whole scripture, the whole Bible teaches us the same truth, but here we see it like in action. Fortune telling is very real and it's always satanic. Fortune telling is from the devil. So tarot cards, palm readers, fortune tellers, zodiac, astrology stuff, that is all from the devil. It's real and it's from the devil. That is clear here. It's satanic. And Paul knows it. And finally, he just is fed up with this and he demands the spirit to come out of her. Let's find what happens. And so, well, first of all, before we find out what happens, let's take another amazing truth from this. That again, we see this throughout the entire scripture. That when a demon is commanded in the name of Jesus Christ to come out, the demons have to obey. The demons have to obey God. In the book of James, it says, even the demons believe and they shudder. Demons have to believe God. They have to submit to God. And so the demons are come out of her in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's see what happens. Verse 19, when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone. Okay, that, that phrase is very significant. That That is what shows us the only reason that she was able to tell the tell fortunes or tell the future was because of the demon. Fortune telling is demonic. And when her owners realized this, it says they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and he said, and they said, these men are Jews and they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Okay, the custom that was unlawful for Romans to practice would be worshiping another god other than Caesar. In the Roman Empire, they bowed down to Caesar. They said, Caesar is Lord. And so the custom that was unlawful for them is the fact that Jews and Christians would not bow down to Caesar. They only worship God. And so that is what they mean by that. In verse 22, it says, The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Something really amazing, uh, a friend of mine just actually traveled to Philippi. They, were, they went on a family vacation to Greece, and they traveled uh, throughout many of the cities that we learn about in the Bible, including Philippi, which I would just love, love, love to see. So they saw the ruins of Philippi. And they saw where it is thought 
perhaps they saw the place where where Paul and Silas may have been in prison. And it looked like, they put it on Facebook, and so I was looking at all their pictures, and it looked like it was caves um, kind of built into the side of a cliff. Uh, and so they may have been in a circular, like in a circular cave or cliff where there were several cells kind of all together in a little grouping on the side of this cliff. And so they were thrown into prison. They were flogged and beaten with rods. Now we're going to find out in a little bit that this was actually completely illegal because they are Roman citizens. But the people who were beating them did not know they were Roman citizens. It was against the law to beat or flog a Roman citizen without giving them a fair trial. Paul and Silas didn't have any sort of a trial whatsoever. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Okay, that is just so amazing to me because an earthquake can certainly cause the doors to open if, if all the all the foundations were moved and the doors flew open, but for all of their chains and the stocks around their feet to fly open, I mean, that is just a miracle of God. That is not due to the earthquake. That's just a miracle of God. All the prisoners' chains came loose. Verse 27, the jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Okay, this was very common. Uh, throughout the Roman Empire, if a jailer had had a prisoner escape, the jailer then would face death. He would be killed because he let prisoners escape. So that's why he's going to just kill himself rather than be killed. But, verse 28, Paul shouted out, Don't harm yourself! We are all here! Isn't that amazing? The prisoners were so shocked at what happened that when the doors flew open, they didn't even run out. They just stayed there just like probably in total shock, like what is happening? Verse 29, the jailer called for lights and he rushed in and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and he asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and then immediately he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, and he set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. I think it is so beautiful here that the jailer, he had heard the gospel, they preached the gospel to him, and he decided to believe on the Lord Jesus, he and his household, his wife, his children, perhaps if he had any slaves or servants in his household, they all came to faith in Jesus. But before they were baptized, it says he washed their wounds. He took time to care for Paul and Silas to wash their wounds before being baptized. I think that's so beautiful, so self-giving, self-sacrificial. Verse 35, when it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens. 
and they threw us into prison. And now they want to get rid of us quietly? No. <laughs> Let them come out themselves and escort us. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them, and they escorted them from the prison, requesting that they leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met the brothers and sisters and encouraged them, and then they left. All right, that is their time in Philippi. So in Philippi, the first person we have who comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is Lydia. And then we have the jailer. And we have this young woman who we don't know, actually. We know that the evil spirit comes out of her. The demon that allowed her to fortune tell came out of her. And we never find out anything about her again. But I would imagine, I would imagine that she turned to the Lord and put her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who had just set her free. I imagine. And you know, if that's true, if she did, if she did put her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then she is one of the beautiful saints that we're going to get to meet in heaven. And we're going to get to tell her we read about you in the book of Acts and how you were set free from a demon and you were saved in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And hear her story and hear her account and that will be so cool so we have Lydia and her entire household we have this slave girl who I believe came to Christ we have the jailer and his entire family and then there must be a great many other people too by this time who had gathered at Lydia's house because remember they'd been in they had been in Philippi for several days so let's say maybe a week where they had been preaching the gospel and it says they met with the brothers and sisters at Lydia's house. They encouraged them all, and then they left the city. So they're going to continue traveling on through what is now modern-day Greece, preaching the gospel, giving the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ everywhere they go, continuing to endure persecutions, continuing to endure suffering for the sake of Christ, and yet doing it in all joy doing it with full joy just like they did that night in prison when they were in prison they had just been flogged like 39 lashes of a flog is what was considered acceptable because 40 lashes from a flog was considered to be a death sentence like it would kill a person so they probably here received 39 lashes while being flogged. We know that Paul received that several times. He writes that in his second letter to the Corinthians that he had received 39 lashes or 40 lashes minus one is what he calls it. So 39 lashes. We know he received that several times, five times he said. This is probably one of those times when he was flogged 39 times, almost dead then in their jail cell. And yet while they're in their jail cell, they are singing and worshiping, praising God. All the prisoners are listening to them. It's just phenomenal that they are worshiping God in the midst of this situation. And that characterizes Paul's ministry throughout all of his journeys, is this joy in the midst of suffering. Joy in the midst of suffering. I want to close today by reading 
uh, something. I've referred to 2 Corinthians a few times today, I realize. I'm going to go back there again. And I'm going to share with you what he writes about joy in the midst of suffering. He says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. We are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life can be revealed in our mortal bodies. His life, so that his life can show forth. We have this treasure in jars of clay, this Holy Spirit in jars of clay, to show that the the power within us is not from us. The all-surpassing power within us belongs to God. It is God's power. That's why they are singing in prison after being flogged. Praise the Lord. In our next episode, we will continue on the second journey. We will go to Thessalonica, Athens, and Corinth. We'll see where he goes and what he does and join him on more of his adventures. And more more importantly, most importantly, we will see more and more of this beautiful, great Jesus who carries him through all of his journeys. Amen and amen. Have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye.